Hi, I'm Graham Mack. Welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the most popular podcasts in the world right now. This week, my special guest is Tom Bell from Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast. Tom, you're a whistleblower. You worked in the private sector and the NHS. You wrote a book about how your sister took her own life after being sexually abused by a nurse while she was in the care of an NHS mental health hospital. You've got a website. What's the address? hipss.org.uk that's humanity and integrity in public sector services so it's hips with two s's.org.uk and then i also have an online training course which i released last month um which is available on the teachable and the udemy platforms and what's so you that can called you, that. you just look for tom bell on there or is is there a it's called willful blindness and trust at work willful blindness and trust at work um i mean you know people can get in touch with me on twitter tom in cumbria they can email me through the hips website um you know, I, one of the things I enjoy doing is talking to people, people with experiences, people I particularly like to talk to, the people that don't agree with me, because I think that's, I think you can learn a bit from them. Do you know what I mean? It's really easy when you go on social media to get into this echo chamber, isn't it? Um, just, just, just agreeing with the people that agree with you, you know, and patting each other on the back. Um, but as I say, I think improvement begins with understanding. So I like this idea that we have these conversations where people can explain that, you know, this is why they behave the way they behave. And, and I think that's interesting. And you've also got the podcast. I do. I have Tom's Five Minute Friday podcast because um, I have, if people have a face for radio, then I have a voice for telly. Um, <laughs> and so I can't, you know, I, I, I get quite monotone when I'm on the podcast, which is a bit, you know, I, mean, I, I just need maybe to work a bit better at that. So I kind of figured that people didn't deserve to be exposed to more than five minutes of me at a time. And so I just make time each Friday to do a quick five minute Friday podcast on something that I, I think is important to me. Um, and you know, that's, I think you can get that on Spotify. It's on the Apple platform. It's on the Google platform. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's about spreading awareness and spreading that message. What can people do then? Can they put pressure on their own NHSs and, and police forces? And, you know, as it is about demanding what, what can people do? Job, well, job number one is, uh, take off your rose colored glasses, right? Um, if you're unaware that there's a problem, then you may well be part of it. Yeah. Don't believe the PR. And, and don't become a conspiracy theorist. Don't think that everybody's out to get you. They're not. You know, these things are happening for logical reasons. You know, there is no conspiracy behind the, the way that we're being uh, treated with public services. The way that we are dealt with by public services is a natural result of the way they are structured, what they are measured on, and the cultures that exist within them. So um, just... Make make time to listen to stories from people that you might not normally listen to. You know, have a look around and realise that when we talk about the NHS, the only reason I want the NHS to change is that is because I love it. You know, we get passionate about the things that we love. Yeah, if I didn't care about it, I, who cares? You know, I'd say privatise. Let's let's do that. But I don't believe that. I think the NHS represents the best of what it can be to be human, not just British. So um, let's have conversations about how we can make the best of it and stop brushing the problems under the carpet because they're not going to go away if we don't talk about them. Imagine me a few years ago, right? I'm that grey suited corporate guy. Yeah. I believe in public services. I believe in the integrity of people and trust is my default option. Yeah. I never thought I would be that person that got thrown out and driven out the NHS for whistleblowing. I never thought I would become that person. I thought whistleblowers were troublemakers. You know, 
everything's good until it happens to you. That's kind of, that's what I would say. It's really difficult putting yourself into someone like my shoes, yeah? Unless you're actually in them. And I wouldn't wish anyone to stand in my shoes. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, it, there's really no easy fixes here. But if, if people need to be aware that things aren't always what they seem. And it's our job as citizens to be a bit more proactive about what we want from our public services, yeah? They belong to us. We own them. They they are our shareholders. We just need to be a bit more proactive about managing them. Yeah. Well, we'll find out where Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast is on the chart soon. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Let's get into the chart now. And at number 20, the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmidt. Father Schmidt reads from one of the world's most popular books about Bronze Age folklore. 19. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 18. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. Enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. 17. The Breakfast Club. The world's most dangerous morning show with DJ Envy, Angela Yee and Chalamagne. The God. 16. Monday Morning Podcast. Bill Burr rambles about Christmas gifts, airlines, and dog-killing monkeys. 15. The Jordan Harbinger Show. In-depth conversations with people at the top of their game. 14. SNS Online, presented by Nick Randall. Nick, your podcast's got a great website. What's the address? Just SNS Online Show. Yes. Com. Couldn't be yeah. easy. And if you type in SNS Online, the first thing it says on Google is show. Results. Right. Great. Bring it on. On there, there are some interesting photographs, and maybe you could just explain a couple of them. No, well, two of them for me, first of all. Okay. Uh, you're on. There's one of you on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> well, we what? were actually in space. We were. Oh, well, you, I see. Okay, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that explains well, we were, that. We were spaced out. One of the two. <laughs> um, I, no, it was. It was just down the road from where I'm at now in Beckton. Uh, the place so good they named it once is my tagline for Beckton. Um, right. No, it's, it's fine. It's got Asda and everything. It's fine. But anyway, down the road, we have the Excel Center where they do like loads of uh, stuff and um, conferences and all the rest. And they do um, Star Trek ones. They do all the cosplay ones and stuff. So we went in 2013 because we're massive uh, Voyager Star Trek fans in particular. But they have the, the thing of the, the bridge and they have they take a photo and, you know, they must make a fortune. But you're sitting in the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, it's amazing. So I've got a photo of me and Shatner like this, me and the Shat, and me and Janeway, you know, like this. It's brilliant. So I, well, I don't know. I don't know if uh, that rocks your world or not. But um, No, no, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah love it. Love it, man. I went to a nice Star uh, Trek exhibition in Seattle once. As, uh, oh, they had, wow. They had Kirk's chair there that was... It was in, it was behind a glass screen. I mean, you couldn't sit in it. Ah, yeah. It was Kirk's chair. Yeah. That's and then there's there's another no, photograph it. that you've mocked up. It's kind of like the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh yeah. Grave, but I think that the 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 thing on there that interests me the most is, I mean, first of all, are they are all those photographs? Are they of your guests that you've had? Yes. Right. All of my guests, but also there's some of family as well. So my parents are in there and. 
my my cat monkey is there andy's there my partner who's he, he's um done like the robot in sleeper in one point and but he's he pops up a couple i think i'm there as harry barry trotter as i call him flying through right. the air and yeah. i'm on the tv as doctor who and i'm also as a star trek guy as well so you but the great thing is there are so many people in that it really is like where's wally if you're trying to find somebody it's quite a it's quite a fun little pastime if you're really bored and and i also must have shout out the brilliant andy lambert who did this for me he's an artist in brighton and i kept sending him all these uh, components like that and he said look please don't send me any more people because i, I don't know if i can fit them in i can, can you just squeeze esther answer me he just squeeze this person in here but he did a brilliant job and i'm so so chuffed with that piece of art now, it was specially now, commissioned the- for the 10th anniversary yeah at the bottom there, where, you know, there are Paul McCartney death clues and everything on the original album, it says 2011 to 2018, as if as well, if SNS Online has died. Oh, I see. I didn't think about that. I never <laughs> thought about that. Oh, was it taken in, in 2018? Is that it what it was? Ten, it was 10 years of a show, 10 years since... Oh, it was for the anniversary. Years. Oh, yes. right, I see. But because it is a grave... And it's Keep got... up 007. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like, it's like, oh, it's over, but it's not over. It's just the beginning. It was the I begin- never even thought, well, are they supposed to be dead people in the Sergeant Pepper then? I didn't realise that. No, well, I don't know if Sergeant Pepper is a grave, but the people who, who believe in the McCartney uh, death clues tell you it's uh, McCartney's yeah. grave because there's a left-handed four-string bass that says P-A-U-L and, you know, and things like that he was there. he was swapped by aliens in 1969 i think it's, it's true because i have read that yeah somewhere. yeah it's no it, oh, the, the, the paul is dead thing is uh is a fascinating Bonkers. freaky thing but it teaches you Bonkers. one thing which is you can take any information and make it fit and totally. uh, i mean you know most of the major religions of the world and also um psychics have been using the same principle so you know why not um <laughs> absolutely <laughs> It's nice to have a bit on the other side occasionally with a happy okay. medium. There you go. SNS Online, presented by Nick Randall, is at number 14 this week on the Pod 20. 13. Behind the Bastards. The worst humans in history. 12. Freakonomics Radio. The Hidden Side of Everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. 11. The Adam Buxton Podcast. Adam's latest ramble chat is with his old friend and film director, Joe Cornish. Remember Adam and Joe? Number 10. Harsh Reality. The story of Miriam Rivera. It was supposed to be a reality show with a twist. In a sun-drenched villa in Ibiza, six hot guys compete for a cash prize and for the love of the beautiful and mysterious Miriam. It's meant to be her big break. The moment she becomes the superstar she was born to be. But this is the era of cruel reality TV. The show producers have a different goal. They want to surprise the men with the fact that Miriam is transsexual. Number 9. Desert Island Discs Laverne's latest castaway is the writer and broadcaster Richard Osman. 
Number 8. Hidden Brain Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior. 7. Tom's 5-Minute Friday Podcast The host is the whistleblower Tom Bell. Tom, you worked for the NHS after your sister took her own life. She'd been sexually abused by a nurse while in the care of an NHS mental health hospital. You've been exposing the corrupt culture that you witnessed firsthand in our National Health Service that covers up incidents like this. Is the toxic culture inside the NHS improving? Okay, so uh, I did a presentation at the National Patient Safety Congress uh, in September, yeah? Um, and it was one of those events where you have to be quite polite, obviously, and you can't, you know, you can't sort of say perhaps some of the things that you might like to say about the culture that that, uh, that causes these issues. But I had people coming up to me afterwards, you know, that I've known from previous my previous life in the NHS, coming up to me afterwards and saying, Tom, that was great to see you, but do you know what? Things are worse than they were when you left the NHS. Wow. And wow. if you look at what's going on, so uh, last year, Baroness Cumberledge released her report into the NHS, in which she said the NHS... Now, this is in 2020, right? So we're talking recent history here. She said the NHS is still not learning from its mistakes, right? This year, we had a report from MPs which suggested on the low side that a 1,000 baby deaths a year are avoidable in our NHS maternity services, yeah, simply because of the cultures that exist which don't allow people to speak up and talk about the mistakes that have been made, right? Right, I I should stress, at this point, by the way, I should stress... I'm not one of those types that wants lots of people sacked. I actually believe in forgiveness. And, and, and people are going to think I'm totally soft now, but I actually wanted restorative justice for the man that abused Alison. Right. I wanted okay. to look at across him, across the table at him. Because we, we are all just 99% chimp. We're all just trying to figure it out, right? And everyone's going to drop their bananas from time to time. But it's what we do next that defines us as a human, isn't it? It's how yeah. we deal with those things. And... So I believe in forgiveness and I believe I believe people in public sector services should be able to put their hands up without fear and say, I've dropped the ball here. Yeah. I've dropped a clanger. I've given the wrong medication. I've made a serious mistake. Do you know what? Yeah, it, it was it was me that was having sex with that person on hospital premises. Now that's an extreme example. Yeah, I get that. But that's we need to create cultures where that kind of wrongdoing is is just not tolerated. Partly on the one hand, because there is a climate that says you can admit what you've done, yeah? If it's a genuine, well-intentioned error, you can admit what you've done, yeah? And then on the other hand, we don't tolerate that crap, yeah? In mm. other words, where it's illegal and it's amoral and it's harmful and deliberately so, we need to get to a point where people are saying we just don't tolerate that crap. Because, But at the know, moment, the ca- people have no idea what's going on because it's all being covered up. If it was more open then there would be more incentive for people to get it right. There's nowhere to hide then. Right, you make a great point. And so here's an interesting um, real example for you. In, uh, do you remember the Midstaffs inquiry, the Robert Francis yes. report? Yeah, with the so, babies, uh, yeah. Midstaffs is kind of etched onto all our collective memories, isn't it? Yeah. And it was estimated that between uh, 400 and 1,100 people had died avoidable deaths in the care of Midstaffs hospitals. And we've got to thank Julie Bailey. She campaigned tirelessly to get that recognised. Um, but... Nobody was ever held accountable for that, right? Right. So put the, just get your head around that. 400, 400 to 1,100 people, avoidable deaths, right? The chief executive walks away with a payoff, yeah? Nobody loses their job. Nobody's ever held accountable, right? 
The chief executive didn't even have to turn up at the inquiries in person. He was allowed to video call in because he was feeling a bit down with himself, right? Um, so one of the things that Francis recommended after that had occurred, he said, let's introduce standards for NHS directors. Let's make it so that if you balls up in one part of the NHS, you can't just trundle off to another part of the NHS and make a mess there, yeah? Because that happens, all, doesn't it? It's a, it's a lot like the Catholic priests. They move them to another parish. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're all kind of sick of it, aren't we? And, you know, you'll see it occasionally in the news where somebody's, you know, they're rehired immediately after being sacked, yeah? Yeah. Um, partly as a pension fiddle so they can claim the pension and all the rest of that stuff. And then they move into another po another well-paid post. If you're in the private sector and you balls up as a director, if you b**** the company's finances up beyond repair and rip off the, sh the shareholders, then you're struck off as a director. Yeah. You can't just reappear, can you, as a, as a director of another company and say, hi, I'm here again. Yeah? yeah, it doesn't work that way. And I think that's great. So Francis recommended that this be introduced into the public sector, yeah? Five years after that was done, that, that by the way, happened in November 2014. That act came into force in November 2014. Five years after that, not a single director has ever been found to have been breached, found not fit or proper, yeah? Not a single one. Not a single and one. Out of how, how many are there, roughly? Thousands. Right, tens okay. of thousands. Right, so not tens a single of thousands. one. Yeah. And uh, Robert Francis was forced to admit last year, and he has he's on the record as saying this, he was forced to admit that his idea to introduce a fit and proper persons test for NHS directors was itself not fit for purpose. <laughs> and a whole national review was done. Now, and it's kind, of, it's kind of weird and it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because it's almost as if we expect it to cock up. Yeah. In other words, we're just yeah. kind of used to it. And yeah. and what shocks me is that we're no longer shocked. Yeah. We, we, this stuff goes on and it's like, well, imagine, right? Imagine if 400 to 1,100 people had died individual deaths as a result of poor care that was given to them, right? By a named carer in the community. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. There'd yeah. be 400 to 1,100 prosecutions. Yeah. Wouldn't there? Yeah. Nobody would get It'd away with like, it. It'd be like a Harold Shipman kind of a situation, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Nobody would get away with it. Yeah. But it happens in one hospital, you know, and, and nobody's held accountable. All those people lost their lives avoidably. I mean, and you've had Gosport since then, haven't you? You've had infected blood. Now, my point is not that the NHS is terrible, because as I said again and again and again, I love the NHS. I love the concept of a national health service. But it's got to start owning up to where it drops the ball. Because yeah. that's, you know what, that's the only thing that's going to make it sustainable. And if I tell you and the listeners that the current bill for liabilities for the NHS, the current amount sitting on the balance sheet for liabilities for compensation claims is approaching 85 billion, that's billion with a B, 85 billion pounds. And last year alone, two and a half billion pounds was paid out in compensation claims. The, and the that's NHS, taxpayers' money that could be used to pay for, for you care. You nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. So the, the cost of failure is not just the 10,000 plus people and the thousand babies that die avoidable deaths in its care every year. By the way, they're just the ones we know about. And that, that for me is the major cost, right? But the cost is not just in those lost lives, those heart damaged lives. It, it's in, we're making the health service unsustainable because we're not allowing it to admit its mistakes. We've got to reach a point where we go, do you know what? Yeah, I, we accept that mistakes will happen. But there's, so we've got to put that alongside forgiveness and we've got to have accountability. And I think the two things can sit alongside each other. But until people are willing to just put their hands in the air and go, yeah, something's got to change here, something's got to stop. Um, every NHS director that comes in, yeah, 
Simon Stevens was the last one, wasn't he? And he's now uh, been replaced by his um, his successor, who was his his deputy. His mantra, that the remit he was given by Jeremy Hunt, who was then in charge, was protect the reputation of the NHS. Mm. Now, that's a noble aspiration. The problem mm. is, by the time it gets translated into action, protect the reputation of the NHS becomes hide the shit. Wow. Tom's 5-Minute Friday podcast is at number 7 this week on the Pod 20. 6. Smartless. Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett connect people from all walks of life. 5. Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. Their latest episode is a best of 2021. 4. Stuff You Should Know If you've ever wanted to know about Champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. 3. My Favourite Murder with Karen Gilgariff and Georgia Hardstark Karen and Georgia tell each other their favourite tales of murder and hear hometown crime stories from friends and fans. 2. Crime Junkie If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you've found your people. And the final number one of 2021... Should I delete that? Alex Light and M. Clarkson explore the nuance that is often left out of conversations on social media. We're going to start with um, a topic that you, I know that you wrote a lot about on your Instagram, um, and that was the scandal around Zoella and the sex toys. So basically, Zoe Sugg, who is a very famous YouTuber, has a website called Zoella and unbeknownst to them they'd actually been included on a GCSE curriculum but when the GCSE curriculum found out that they had a um, an article about the best sex toys on their website they scrapped it from the, the GCSE curriculum they dropped it and obviously this caused a lot of controversy it um, became a really interesting question around female pleasure and yes. the lack of conversation surrounding that in sexual education and this lit a fire in me I didn't even know like I did not know I felt so passionately about the female orgasm until like there there, there I was because <laughs> I saw this it was the front page of the times and and there were there were a few factors at play the first one being Zoe is a 30 year old or what was a 30 year old woman and to talk about a sex toy, you know, the way that it was written about was like it was like the biggest scat. Like they might as well have written the, the like letter A and scarlet on her forehead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but of course, then there was a more nuanced conversation around like, hey, well, do do parents or teachers want kids reading about sex toys? And I wrote a piece for Cosmo about it, very much on the side that there does need to be a serious change around the way that we talk about female pleasure and yeah. why, why, yeah. when you look at sexual education in schools, I mean, it's so lacking. Right. And something that I find in just, I mean, oh my God, there's so much. How do I even start with this? I never learned about the female orgasm. I never learned about the clitoris. I never learned 
at any point that women could enjoy sex. We know boys do. We know that. Because when they ejaculate, they're done. When a woman is pregnant, she's done. (laughs) Like that was the point of sex as far as my sexual education went. I saw a woman giving birth in a VCR video. Did you? Yeah, in like 2001. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. And that was the only time I ever saw a real vagina in school. Wow. Which is actually incredible. Which is incredible. Because that's like the purpose of women as far as school dictates. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's... Your purpose is to be pregnant. And I actually, on a much heavier note, I think this is indicative of like a lot of uh, stinky (laughs) because if... (laughs) Dead professional firm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think on a serious note, if you don't teach a woman or a girl how to enjoy sex, then what are you teaching her? Because the the kind of other side of that is you're teaching her not to enjoy it. And if women are are being sent out to have sex they don't enjoy, or girls, I think that's quite a distressing message. If the expectation is that you won't enjoy it, There is a very grey area around consent and and power and and I find that very distressing that neither boys nor girls are ever taught how to give and how to help a girl enjoy sex. And I think if they don't know how to enjoy it, then they just know that they won't. Should I delete that? With Alex Light and M. Clarkson, number one this week on the Pod 20. And that's it for episode 88. Thanks to this week's guests, Tom Bell, Nick Randall, Alex Light and M. Clarkson. Next week, my guest is the legendary broadcaster, Russ Williams. Russ, you're involved in loads of podcasts, including Fight of My Life from TalkSport. You were one half of the Russ and Jono Breakfast Experience on Virgin Radio and Russ and Jono Rebooted, the podcast. You started out as a news broadcaster. Yeah, I got a knock on my digs door in the middle of the night um, on that fated night when um, the IRA tried to kill Margaret Thatcher at the Grand Hotel in Brighton. I was on local radio. I was a bit of a man Friday, really. Had one show a week to do the traffic news. But I was the closest broadcaster, literally 50 yards away. And Rory McLeod, a fantastic boss and hardened journalist, was standing at the front door with a rain mac in his pyjamas and slippers on. And uh, he always used to call me Cock. He'd go, hello, Cock, how are you? And he said, uh, get your clothes on, Cock. They've just tried to kill Maggie Thatcher. They've blown up the Grand Hotel. We're going on the air. So I went on the air. Must have been 4.30 in the morning, finished at 10. I played two records. Everything wow. else was interviews. I was 21. Yeah. Wow. And wow. You, you would learn on your feet then. And, yeah. um, you know, um, I've, yeah, I've covered lots of stuff like that. I used to have a phone in in Brighton, a sort of current affairs phone in to play records for a couple of hours. And then the last hour would be, you know, whoever was around. I had Jeffrey Archer on. I also had local council debates, which were quite boring. Alan Mullery came on, Norman Tebbit, Jeffrey Archer, uh, you know, uh, football managers. It, it was good, you know. What a great grounding that would have been then for what well, was to it come. Was. I mean, I, I've just been so lucky. Uh, mm. I know you make your own luck, and I, I suppose you do. Um, but, you, you know, apart from Nation and a little bit of the boxing, uh, 
I don't do so much now and let somebody else have a go. Um, unless but it's, al- it's allowed you to explore your own passions, like, for instance, Tottenham Hotspur, because yes. you're involved with a couple of podcasts about Spurs. You want to talk about yep. them? Well, I, I just said a really good one that's called uh, The Last Word on Spurs. That's a great podcast for any Spurs fans or anybody who wants to, uh, up until now, laugh at the trials and tribulations of Spurs because now we've got Conte. I it's think, not another I think false so. dawn. It, no, he's Jurgen Klopp with a brain, mate. <laughs> okay. Only joking. <laughs> All right. Um, and so that's a great podcast. And funny enough, uh, I was on the week before Nuno Espirito Santo got sacked. And you have to give your opinion. I, I love being on the show, but I remember I said, and I said, if Nuno makes it through the November international break, it will be a miracle. And uh, lucky guess, maybe, but it was obvious he was going to. You go. called it. You called. Was that the, was that was that the feeling of the fans at the time? Oh yeah, he was gone. Yeah, he, he was, was gone. gone with the players. Right. You could okay. see the players weren't buying into what he did. Yeah. Um, and listen, a lot of those players are not paragons of virtue, trust me, right. in my eyes. And I'm not saying that I know stuff about them because I don't, really. Is there a case for the curse of the new stadium? Because let's face it, your North London rivals yeah. haven't done so well at their new digs as they did at Highbury, have they? I mean, No, isn't that that's a, a thing of beauty, of course, Graham, isn't it? <laughs> but they're... Um, they're getting quite good now. They're worrying mm-hmm. me now. I mean, they got Emil Smith Rowe is a tremendous player. Saka, I'm a big fan of his, but obviously you don't want them to do well. They wouldn't want Spurs to do well. I think it's a different business model. To be fair to Daniel Levy, who off the pitch has done pretty much everything right. The problem has been the football side, and right. as Danny Kelly and myself often talk about when we see each other, stick to the football. Yeah. Where yeah. Daniel yeah. is trying to expand everything is to get Bon Jovi in there one week, you know, the Human League re- revival concert, the Eagles or whatever. And then he wants NFL games. I mean, I know America has got some rough areas, right? Hmm. But if the cameras panned on the surrounding area of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think some of them would be a, a little bit shocked because it isn't the greatest part of London and it sits there like... You know, this spaceship, isn't it? Yeah. As you walk up from Seven Sisters, it gets closer and closer, and you think, wow. Yeah. But as Pochettino said, Graham, you can have the best house on the road, but if all the furniture's from a charity shop, it's not much gone. <laughs> so what's the difference between the last word on Spurs podcast and the Spurs show? Spurs podcast? show. Yeah, the what's Spurs the difference? Show, um, the last word on Spurs is a full-on debate. Right. They've got some great speakers about the club from all sort of different walks of life. Whereas the Spurs show is hosted by most of the time by Theo Delaney, who's a great guy, he's a friend of mine, and has a, a smaller roster of proven Spurs diehards and, um, you know, celebrates the success, but accepts inevitably the disappointments after the disappointments after the disappointments in a, a more calm manner than the last words on Spurs, which is uh, a little more passionate. So they're completely different types of podcasts, hmm. all about hmm. the same football club. And all, all of the other football podcasts, not only about Spurs, you know, your club, Liverpool, 
there are not extremists, but there are people who are more passionate yes. than others, and there's people who are more considered than others, and there are people who are blind to everything that's wrong with their club because yes. they love it, and that's the beauty yeah. of football. Everyone yeah. has an opinion. It doesn't yeah. mean to say, you're right, I'm right, they're right. It's just an opinion. Yeah. Well, lots more with Ross Williams, my special guest next week on the Pod 20. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will your favourite podcast make it to number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, on Fridays at 5pm and across the weekend on podcast radio. And influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.